Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Over the coming months, we as a church are going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed together, an ancient summary of the Christian faith that has traveled through thousands of years and functioned as an anchor of truth in a constantly shifting world. The Creed presents truth claims that can be explored, that provoke questions, that come directly from scripture and that are owned by a community. Thanks for joining us. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, almighty, maker of heaven and earth, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The reading today is taken from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all and living through all. Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, Today, we're picking up our series in the Apostles' Creed again. Um, And it's a privilege for me to be able to take us through this next part. Um, My name is Rich, for those of you who don't know me. Um, Now, I've not grown up with the Apostles' Creed as a significant part of my faith journey. Um, And so before the series began, and I was kind of familiarizing myself with it a little bit, there were two lines that stood out to me. Well, I have to be honest, I was kind of hoping when it comes to the preaching rota, I don't get those. Uh, And one of them was the descent into hell, which I spoke about just before Easter. Uh, And the second one is what we're looking at today, which is um, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But you know, I'm actually deeply grateful for the opportunity to do a bit of a deep dive into those areas and get to explore a little bit more of the wonder of what they mean. Uh, And I hope, and that's my prayer, is that we will all leave today um, with a little bit more wonder um, about who God is um, and what he wants to do in and through us. And the principal reason that this line caused me to pause is that I didn't really know what it meant by Catholic. Um, And maybe you've been around for some of this series and you've kind of wondered the same whenever it's been read out on a Sunday morning. But basically, uh, that word just means universal. 
It means universal. And my first association, um, where my brain goes to right away, is the Vatican and the Pope, Sistine Chapel and all of that. Um, but here in this context, uh, it's just a rendering of a Greek word which means universal. The span of believers across time and history, across nations and denominations. Not the particular local expression of the church that is Oasis Church, but the universal church. Every believer who has ever lived anywhere. And throughout history, there have been millions of Christian communities that have existed all over the world in different times, in different places, in different cultures. Um, But somehow, mysteriously, as Paul writes in the passage that Michaela so beautifully read out for us, there is, in some sense, one church because there is one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. I think Paul really got on a roll when he was writing that one, didn't he? And that's what we're going to explore together this morning. How can there be one church? How can there be one church when there are so many churches um, which look so different from one another, with so many perspectives, so much division, so much brokenness sometimes? And what impact should, knowing that we are part of the Holy Catholic, the Holy Universal Church, have on us? How should that truth impact us in the kind of nitty-gritty of day-to-day life? So first of all, the how. Um, We had a bit of a break from this series for Easter, um, but the line directly before this one is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's what Adrian looked at in the last talk of this series. And that structure is really important. We spent a bit of time in the past few months, the first few months of this year, looking at the work of the Father and the Son, and now we come to the church, which is the work of the Spirit. And it's only after that that we come to what might be framed, certainly in our kind of modern Western culture, as personal salvation. Ideas of the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. We're going to look at those in the weeks to come. But the structure of the creed makes really clear that all of that is to be understood in the context of the spirit who is at work through the church. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. In other words, the oneness of the body flows from the oneness of God. That because the Father, Son, and Spirit are and have always been so united, eternal, overflowing love and light poured out one to another. The character of the church that God has created will always reflect that at the deepest level, even where we as flawed, still human beings don't always reflect it for ourselves. And that's why the line in the creed is the holy church, not because of any holiness we have in ourselves, not because the church never gets things wrong, but because it's been created out of the overflow of God's holy love for humanity that we are now caught up in. And it's something that we're caught up in together. Tim Chester um, puts its importance like this. We are not saved individually and then choose to join the church as if it were some club or support group. Christ died for his people, and we're saved when by faith we become part of the people for whom Christ died. In other words, when we are united to Jesus by centering our lives on him, putting our faith 
and trust in him, when we're welcomed into the oneness of the Trinity, we are at the same time united to one another by virtue of our shared union to him. Joining the church is not a optional extra to personal salvation. It's not a tag on to something that happens really just between me and God. It's a fundamental result of our union to Christ that as we are united to him, we're united to all of those who are also in him. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And this is why Paul kind of continually comes back again and again in the Gospels to union with Christ as the heart of the Gospel, the heart of the good news about Jesus. Because our unity in him is the great equaliser. No matter how wealthy we are, or what gender, or what ethnic background, or what nationality, no matter our strengths or our weaknesses, our personalities, our histories, our jobs, all are united to Christ in the same way. We all enjoy the same access to God, the same love of God, the same grace of God, the same righteousness of God. There's no social barrier that can exclude someone from participation in the Catholic universal church. Nobody is ever rejected because of who they are. And there's nobody in the world for whom the message of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection is irrelevant. His message is universal. And not only that, but there's no part of ourselves that the gospel doesn't impact. There is one God and Father of all, over all, in all, living through all. All of ourselves are caught up in him. Our deepest human needs, our innermost vulnerabilities, our most heartbreaking memories, our biggest desires, our loftiest motivations, our greatest struggles. Jesus calls everyone to come just as they are, no qualifications or preconditions, not because we're to stay as we are, but so that the whole person, heart and soul and mind and body can be caught up in the resurrection life of Jesus that changes everything. No part of ourselves is off limits. And it's that resurrection life, Ben Myers writes, that cuts through the ultimate barrier that divides human beings from one another. Not culture or language or class, but death. Death that provides a fundamental boundary before which all humans are powerless. But in the resurrection, as we've been exploring over the last few weeks, Jesus steps across the unbreachable barrier and he tears it down. Death is defeated. The king is alive. And because of that, there is one family that stretches out across not just all of space, but all of time too. And when you center your life on Jesus, that's what you're being welcomed into. And as you are, you take your place in God's great plan of salvation to create a people for himself that carry the divine image, that do what humanity was always intended to do in revealing the very life of God to all of creation and carrying the very life of God to the furthest corners of the earth. This was always the goal 
are people living, enjoying the fullness of the resurrection life that they've been invited into, extending the invitation that all are welcome in this new community, the new family that God is creating by his spirit. So why does this matter? How does this change how we live? Judon Tamfu, who's a Cameroonian theologian, says this, Christ's majesty is of such a scope that no local congregation in a particular time and place can fully capture and portray it. And yet, every expression, every local congregation of believers reflects something. Either in reflecting something of the majesty and beauty of God, or sadly, sometimes in reflecting the opposite. And the truth is that each of us will be coming this morning with our own experiences of church. For some, Oasis might be the only church you've ever been to. Others might have had a very wide range of church expressions. Some of those expressions might have been joyful and life-giving. Others might have been deeply painful. Others might, to be honest, have been really boring. We'll each have our own journey on that. You might have experienced all of those things this morning already. (laughs) Um, To give a a slightly different perspective on this, um, I'm actually going to invite my wonderful wife Jules up, uh, who's just going to share for a couple of minutes about her own journey of church um, and how it has revealed Jesus uh, for her. So why don't we welcome Jules she comes. And also Zach as well. He's having a nice sleep. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jules, Um, I'm mummy to Zach, um, wife to Rich. Um, First of all, sorry, I've got a little bit of a sniffle, sorry about that. Um, First off, I want to say that I don't believe that any church or denomination is perfect, um, but I do believe that different churches work for different people and at different times of their life. Um, And I believe that there is huge amounts to be gained from variety in church expression. As people, we're all really different, so surely our churches should be too. Um, How boring would it be if church felt, looked, and tasted the same week in, week out? Um, So with that in mind, Rich asked me to share a little bit about my church experience. Um, Oh, sorry, I've stood up. (laughs) Um, I've been a Christian all my life, and I've been coming to Oasis uh, since I moved to Birmingham three years ago. Uh, But I have had a slightly unorthodox church upbringing. Uh, My dad's a Roman Catholic and my mum is an Anglican, so they went to different churches, which meant that so did me and my siblings. So growing up every Sunday, we would get up early, go to Mass with my dad, uh, before rushing home after church, being handed over to my mum, and then going up to the local village to go to the Anglican church with my mum. This carried on through my whole childhood until I left home for university, at which point I was deemed old enough to choose church for myself. Um, So for my first term of university, I actually carried on going to both. Uh, Because if you know me at all, as a general rule, if a decision can be put off, I will do that. Um, uh, Eventually, though, I settled into the local Anglican church, which is where I attended for my three years up in Durham. After university, I moved down to Bradford, uh, where I lived for about eight years working for a local charity. um, And there I attended... Um, a local free independent evangelical church. 
um, before I moved to Birmingham and started attending Oasis. So as you can tell, I've experienced a variety of different expressions of church. Um, I will say I haven't studied the varying theologies very much, so what I'm sharing is based on my lived experience rather than any kind of doctrine or anything. Um, but looking back, I can see how the different expressions of church have revealed different things about God to me. Um, so the rituals and the solemnity of the Catholic churches that I've attended um, taught me about God's holiness and what an honour it is to be in his presence. Um, and the real word I took away from attending Catholic churches is just a reverence for God. Um, growing up in an Anglican church, I went to Sunday school and I learned all about the different qualities of God um, and was especially taught and came away uh, feeling that he's my heavenly father and that role in my life. Um, the church I attended in Bradford had a real focus on serving their local community. They ran a food bank, a debt centre, a job club, an education centre and had really strong links with uh, a number of local Christian charities up there. Um, and being down here at Oasis has taught me so much about the Holy Spirit, being open and ready for him to move in and through us, um, as well as church being a real sense of family to each other. Um, yeah, just to summarise, my experience has been that there's no perfect church, uh, but every church has taught me something different and really special about God. Thank you so much, Jules. Um, each of us, to whatever degree, will have our own journey um, with different local church communities. Um, good and bad, joy-giving, annoying, painful. It's not always easy being part of a church community. Uh, there's a cost to investing in a local expression of the church, as long, along with, I found, much joy and much that many different expressions, as Jules has shared, can teach us about the wonder of who God is. And next week, Adrian is going to spend a little bit of time uh, looking at that in a bit more detail, how we are building and living in community in this particular local expression of the church called Oasis. But for the rest of our time this morning, I just want us to focus a little bit on how we live knowing and enjoying the fact that if we have centered our lives on Jesus, we're part of this universal church that spans all time and space. That means that whatever church expression we're part of, we get to know and enjoy something of the wonder of who God is. And I think there are two things in particular. It changes how we think about ourselves and it changes how we think about the church. So for ourselves, knowing this wonder, knowing this truth that we are caught up uh, in a church that spans every time and space, every community and culture, every type of person with no limit, what it changes about ourselves is it means that we get to be those who live knowing, welcome and belonging. Knowing that because of that, we aren't excluded. We're not left on the outside looking in, but we're invited into the very heart of the Trinity itself. That the Father, Son, and Spirit, who have for all eternity been a community bound together by and celebrating in love, have poured that love out on us in order to welcome us in. Now we belong. Whoever we are, whatever our history, the invitation is complete belonging. Second, value and identity. 
Knowing that we have been chosen since before the creation of the world to be called God's children means that we're not forced to scramble around in the dark hunting for um, a kind of mythical true identity that lives somewhere deep inside us. It means we don't have to uh, constantly search for labels to define who we are. It means that, in fact, we actually just get to come and be. The fact that we're caught up in the universal church doesn't erase our individual identities. Far from it. In fact, the opposite. It means that we're called by name. We've heard that already this morning, whoever we are. How much more than the stars in the sky does your heavenly Father know you by name? It means we're called by name by one who loves us and knows us more intimately than we know ourselves, who loves us with an unending, unfailing love, who goes to the cross to rescue and redeem us, helps us to know value and identity in who we are. And thirdly, wholeness and purpose means we get to live as those who know that whatever we've lived through, whatever we have done and whatever has been done to us, there is peace for us in the midst of the storm. That Jesus is with us. He promises to never leave or forsake us. It means we get to share our burdens uh, with one another and with him. And it means that he is calling us into his purposes and plans that he has good things for us, which are always life-giving and life-bringing, even when they don't feel it in the very moment. Where our lives have been characterized by brokenness, there's an invitation to allow the God who comes with scarred hands to bring wholeness and restoration to us, even in that place, not to erase the past, but to transform it. And ultimately, I guess all of those could be summed up in meaning that we get to live as those who have nothing to prove. We don't have to live trying to drum something up from within us. We're invited to simply come, recognizing our brokenness, recognizing our need for God, our inability to do things on our own, and receiving not a list of things that we need to do, but a family to walk with us, and a word of welcome and belonging, of value and identity, of wholeness and purpose to carry us. That's the place I get to live from. And you know, I think if I really got hold of that, I think it would radically transform my life. That I don't have to live every day striving to prove myself. But because I am part of the church, I already get to be someone who knows the word of God spoken over me that I can live in complete freedom. Secondly, it changes how we think about the church. Catherine Tanner writes this, the unity of the church is a reflection of the unity of God. And it is through our unity that we participate in the life of the triune God and witness to the world the power of God's love and grace. That's what Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 is all about. Moments before Jesus is arrested and led away to be executed, he's on his knees praying for the church. That's how he chooses to spend those final moments. I think that's deeply significant. He prays for all of those who believe in him down through the generations that we might be one so that the world might believe that Jesus is who he says 
he is. He prays that we might be united as the means by which the world will know that God loves them. That's the value he puts on our unity. That in the eyes of the world, the good news of Jesus is either confirmed and so immeasurably enhanced, or it's contradicted and so it's immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationships between those who believe it. How I speak about the church, how I treat the church, how I seek to love the church is how I speak about and treat and seek to love Jesus. And it's how a watching world will assess the truth of our message. If those looking in measure the strength and integrity of the community as lacking, it doesn't matter what we say about Jesus, it doesn't matter what we sing on a Sunday morning, it's gonna pass them by. And that's not to bring condemnation or fear, but invitation to live in the good of the community we've been invited into. God, the one who is over all and through all and in all, has chosen, he's chosen to reveal himself to the entire cosmos by the love that he has shared with us that we are now to share with one another. That's how God decided he wanted to share himself with the world. That's an amazing privilege for us, isn't it? It's an amazing challenge, but it's an amazing privilege too. He has called us, he's caught us up in his holy Catholic church that we might be those who live knowing his word of welcome and belonging, value and identity, wholeness and purpose given to us to enjoy the good of and to offer to those around us. That's what it means to be part of the Holy Catholic Church. That's what it means when we get to say those words together. The band are going to come back up um, and join me, and we're going to sing a song to respond, which is all about how we are seeking to be and to build a community that is based on, that is founded on Jesus. And as we do, there's an invitation again for each of us, I think, to come uh, and sing and lift our eyes to God. The invitation might be different for each of us depending on what we've kind of got from this morning, from what those words have meant to us, from what our different church experiences have been. I want to really pray for us now that we would be those who live knowing the freedom that we have as part of the universal church. That we would be those who live knowing that there is nothing now for us to prove. But the invitation is to come and be and be caught up in what God wants to do in and through us. How that would change us. How that would transform the quality of our relationships with one another and the way in which we reach out and share God's love with the world. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand. Father, 
Son, Spirit. We come as those part of your body or as those looking in and wondering, is this for me? And we receive again your word to us, which is an invitation to come. It's an invitation that is wider and higher and deeper and longer than we could possibly imagine, that includes more people than frankly we're comfortable with sometimes. And that goes deeper and is more transformative than we can possibly begin to understand. Crosses all boundaries, crosses all barriers, crosses death itself. And so we lift our eyes to you and we say thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you that by your spirit you are catching us up in the wonder of who you are and of who you are making your church to be. Thank you for the privilege of what it is to be included, to be those who don't have to live proving and striving every day uh, that we might be good enough. But you get to live with that word spoken over us that what Jesus has done is enough and that we are welcome. Thank you, Lord. 